Welcome to Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dom went from a life of organized crime to federal prison. There, God saved him and set him free. Soon after his release, he attended seminary and received his master's degree and is now the senior pastor of Desert Sky Baptist Church, where he serves with a passion for biblical theology right here in Casa Grande. Now let's join our host, Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. Uh, obviously, here I am uh, locally live on 91.1 Grace FM, a voice of never-ending grace. You can catch us locally there. You can also catch us on the Christian podcast community at strivingforeternity.org. I am really excited today. I I not only have a, a brother, but a friend, David Edgington. And David has got a PhD, so obviously, um, I don't know, I don't want to call him an expert in this field, right, David? We don't want to, but but David has written a book called The Abusive Wife, Ministering to the Contentious Woman. And I, first of all, I want to say any questions on this at the end of the, the podcast, David will give you his email. Also, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail, you can either hit me there, but but David is going to give you the information that you need to contact him. Also about the book where you can get the book, again, The Abusive Wife, Ministering to the Contentious Woman. I want the uh, contentious woman. I want to turn this over to David to let him introduce the book, introduce himself, and then we'll get into some conversation um, because I think this is important stuff, really important and kind of eye-opening. For me, anyway. So, uh, David, a pleasure and honor to have you on Street Talk Theology. Uh, so, David, take it away. Talk to you. Let us know who you are, how you came to writing the book, and what the book is about, and and why you think it's important. Well, Dominic, thanks for having me on. You're a good good brother, good friends, and I know you're a faithful pastor. So it's it's great to be great to be with you and and with all of your listeners. So the book, The Abusive Wife, I wrote the book eight years ago, mainly because there's nothing written on it from a biblical perspective, not even from a Christian perspective. There's a difference between biblical and Christian, but, but uh, you know, biblical is we're going to use the word of God. Christian is we, we say we're Christians and we're going to use, use truth. But, um, but I wrote it because there's nothing on it. And now even eight years later, there's still nothing on this on this topic. And my concern, Dominic, is that this is a problem, a growing problem, not only in the local church, good conservative Bible teaching churches, but it's also a, a, a problem with counselors, with good, solid biblical counselors. They, they don't see this. They don't want to see this. And there are men that are suffering unbelievably as a result of this, and uh, we'll talk about what this is in a minute. But uh, but this is a this is a big problem, and it's gotten worse in the last eight years from when I wrote the book initially. So this is this is something that's growing. It's not going away. It's um, it's a result of uh, the encroaching. I guess encroaching is not even a good word anymore. The the rush of feminism that is overtaking every segment of society and culture, 
and now has gotten into the church. And again, even in good Bible teaching churches, men just give a pass to feminism and they don't even realize it. They don't even see it. David, before I get into the questions, have you got any <laughs> any pushback on this book? Is anybody um have, have you lost friends, gained friends, or <laughs> I just, <laughs> just, just came just came to my mind? <laughs> That's a great question. Um you know, I, I have not lost any friends as a result of it, because I think people people have known me. I've, I've been here in the Phoenix Valley for, I don't know, 30 years now. So people know, they know who I am. They know what I stand for. They know I'm a biblical counselor. I'm a newthetic counselor. And they know I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. Um, so no, I have not lost any friends. But if you go on to Amazon's website to, to look at my book, that's that's where it's sold. You can get the book either on CompassionateCounselors.com or you can go to Amazon and you'll see some reviews on there. There's a lot of one-star reviews that people just say, oh, this book is terrible. This guy hates women. This guy is this, this and that. And it's like most of these people have obviously not read the book because right in the front of the, right in the, front of the book, I, I make it very clear that if any man uses my book to oppress or to harm women, God have mercy on his soul, because that's not why I wrote the book. I didn't write it to just destroy women. I wrote it to help men. And, and Dominic, there are a lot of men. I've, I've done several podcasts now with other, other groups. And the last podcast I did, I've gotten over 100 contacts from men in just about three or four weeks. So, it's, so it is a big, big problem. Um, but no, I have not lost any friends over this. But uh, but there's some people that just don't they don't understand it. They they don't want to acknowledge that a woman or a wife could be this vicious towards a man. Interestingly, a lot of women understand this. I think under I think women understand this better than men do because women go, oh man, I know women like that. I know a bunch of women like that. But the men go, no, I don't think so. Some women just have a bad day or two or that. We're not talking about a bad day. We're not talking about a bad weekend. We're not talking about time of month problems for women. We're not talking about any of those things. We're talking about something in the heart that is bitter and angry and controlling and intimidating and unsubmissive, and it is just off the charts. Now, again, just to keep qualifying this, I have to keep saying this because people might misunderstand. There are men that are just as bad, if not worse than this. There's no way I'm denying that men are abusive or reviling to women. I've seen that too. So that's a light word in the book, L-E-I-T. It's kind of a German term for like a a, a word that kind of, you know, uh, that you use in the book. And that's the word reviling. So right. that we need to, or let me say this better. You need to, at least for the audience, what does it mean in the biblical sense, um, the word reviling, how would you, so because anybody who reads this book is going to come across that term. Am, am I correct on that? Absolutely. I, I'm very careful in explaining the term in the book. And just to back up a little, little bit, people might say, well, why didn't you call it the reviling wife? Why did you call it the abusive wife? Well, I use the word abusive because it's popular in our culture. Reviling, nobody knows what it means. Just like that's why we're going to define it now. It's like, what is revile? I've never heard that word. But abuse, everybody thinks they know what that word means. But reviling is much more specific because reviling 
is, well, first of all, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul talks about this as grounds for church discipline. Reviling is grounds for church discipline. Not only drunkenness, not only sexual immorality, not only, you know, a bunch of other things, but reviling. You'll see the word right there in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6, that these are this is grounds for church discipline. So obviously this is a big problem that the word of God describes it that way, that this is something very serious that we should not take lightly. So if that's the case, we better understand what the word means. We got to know what, why is this so, so harsh? Why, why is it so, so important to address this in a church discipline atmosphere? And the reason is, is that reviling is, is like using words as a non-contact weapon. In other words, I'm not hitting you with my fists but I'm hitting you with my words. It's cruel. It's harsh. It's intimidating. It's, it's, you know, we should look at a couple of examples in, in scripture to get, to get an idea of it, but it's, it's basically um, a, a form of, of abusing someone with your words that that's not just the contents, but the tone and the way that you're saying things, you know, the difference between, you know, you're having an argument or a disagreement, and now you're ready for a street fight with words. And you're just, I mean, just look at the things that go on on social media. You see some stuff going on there. You go, man, this is horrible. Um, in John 9, 28, the Jewish leaders were reviling the man that was born blind. So, you know, so what they were doing is they're mocking him. They're... Um, they're looking down on him. They're condescending towards, towards him. In Acts 23, verses 3 and 4, the apostle Paul said to um, the high priest, he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then those that were there said, why would you revile God's high priest? So Paul's accused there of reviling someone in authority, but Paul didn't know that this was a high priest. That's what the scriptures scriptures say first corinthians 4 12 it says when we are reviled we bless so in other words we don't fight fire with fire we don't come right back at them we you know we we bless instead um the lord jesus first peter 2 23 it says when he was reviled he did not revile in return so we know the way jesus was mistreated he didn't he didn't revile those that were reviling him and one of the biggest ones is in Matthew 15, 4, where it says, whoever reviles his father or mother must be put to death. Wow. So, you know, so this is, this is, this is how serious this is. And, um, you know, we just kind of just give a pass on it. We, we go, well, you know, women are more emotional than men. Women have feelings that are stronger than men. And that's why it's like, okay, we understand that. But there's a point where this is day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and the guy is just beaten, beaten mercilessly. David, I in it's kind of shocking as I'm I'm listening to this, only you know, because the scriptures you're using. So, and this is a this is a hard question because I, I mean, obviously, you're going to have to deal on a case to case basis. But where's the repentance here? I mean, if so I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be careful here. I can see maybe doing something like this. If one is a Christian, we're going to fall into sin, but you're going to repent. And if this is an ongoing thing, 
this would seem like this would be an unequally yoked marriage. And I want to be careful because I know we all can fall in sin, me first. But this, the the issues you're describing would seem like some of the women in these cases are unrepentant. Is that a fair a fair assessment or? Uh, you know, it's actually more direct than that. All of the women in this case are unrepentant. Okay. If you're reviling, if you're reviling your spouse, doesn't matter who it is, whether it's a man or a woman that's doing the reviling. Um, if you're unrepentant about it, you're you're you know you're still in sin. But you're exactly right. We have to call them to repentance, and this is one of the key parts. You have, if you're going to help people, you have to hold them accountable. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Well, you know, we tried to help the wife that's reviling, but you know, what are we going to do? We can't do anything about it. It's like, well, keep her accountable. Keep holding her accountable. If the man is sinning, hold him accountable. If the wife is sinning, hold, you know, hold her accountable. But we don't just give anybody a pass. I mean, that's just a basic truth of biblical counseling is that we have to address every problem with the word of God and say, you know, we do it compassionately. We're not harsh with people when we're counseling them, but we have to appeal to them and say, you can't just say, here's an example, Dominic. One of the common things the wife will say is, I don't feel safe around my husband. And I, and first of all, I jump on that statement because I go, okay, already this is a loaded statement. This is an emotionally charged statement. And now what is the average man going to do when he feels, when, when he hears a woman say, I don't feel safe around my husband? What, what, did you, what would you say, Dominic, is the first thing that a pastor or any godly man is going to do? Yeah, you, you got to step in. I mean, what do you mean you don't feel safe? I mean, somebody's... <laughs> life is threatened or you that's like threatening language as a pastor it, i would have to investigate what do you mean you don't feel safe uh, you right. know and if there's any weapons involved we know we have to you know call the police so yeah that's a good good see but your instinct is to protect that woman right that's without a doubt that's what a man is going to do is going to protect that woman but here's you did the right thing it's like okay let's ask some questions and i've had this happen many times with women that turn out to be reviling and they say i don't feel safe around you know my husband i say okay what do you mean by that because already i'm looking to protect this woman because she's being in an unsafe environment and i'm already thinking about this man and thinking boy he must be a big problem in this marriage this guy's a, a beast he's mean he's cruel see my mind is already thinking protect this woman I'm not her I'm not her husband but protect this woman. But but this is the this is the approach we have to take. We have to ask the questions. Okay, what do you mean by you don't feel safe? Has he raped you? Has he hit you? Has he taken a gun or a knife to attack you? Is he threatening you in some way? Is he stalking you? Is he is he doing, you know, we ask we have to ask those questions and not just believe all women when they say, I don't feel safe, it's like, okay, you don't feel safe, but what do you mean by that? We have to arrive at what's going on here. And inevitably, I mean, I would say almost every time I've heard a woman saying that, Dominic, it's turned out, she says, well, he's asking me to do something I don't want to do. I'm like, okay, like, like what? Well, he wants me to submit to him. He wants me to do this. And, and it's nothing harsh. It's nothing cruel. It's nothing wicked. It's just simple husband and wife relationship. 
And so, you know, you keep pushing on that issue a little bit, gently with the wife, and eventually you find out she just doesn't want to follow him. Now, again, as you and I have said, there are men out there that are vicious and cruel, and there, there's men that beat their wives. It's like, okay, if that wife says, I don't feel safe, you and I step in and say, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to get the church involved. We're going to get the authorities involved if we need to. But feelings are not sovereign. Just because the wife says, I feel this way, does not mean it's true. That's a very important point. The, the, reason, the reason I'm laughing is I got here on my papers. I said, feelings are not sovereign. Explain. <laughs> you got that from my book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, you mentioned something about accountability. And and that in, in our world today, in our world, no one wants to take responsibility. We we have a lack of accountability. So my question, do you feel the I hate to use that word feelings, especially <laughs> feelings are not sovereign. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you think today that the churches are not being responsible or accountable enough in these areas? Is that is that a fair fair question or statement? I, I would agree with that. I think the churches, and it gets back to what, not only what is our authority, but what is sufficient to address these problems. Our authority has to be the Word of God, and the Word of God is sufficient to address every single problem of living. If we think we need something more than that, then it's going to be your opinion versus mine. And I don't want that. I don't want, well, what's your opinion on this, Dominic? Well, my opinion's different than yours. We go, well, how do we settle this? Well, we turn to the Word of God. We say, what do the Scriptures say? And, and so if, but see, think about that, that scenario I was setting up there with the wife coming in. I don't feel safe around him. And if you automatically defend the wife and say, boy, this guy is evil, he's wicked, he's terrible— you're going you're gonna to believe almost anything she says rather than investigate it and check it out. Make sure it's true. Make sure, is this guy really wicked or is it just that she is manipulating him and trying to turn it around to make him appear a way that he's not? This is the, this is the, the, ch the challenge for the counselor. And if you get this wrong, that guy is going to be guilty no matter what he says. If he tries to defend himself and say, look, that's not what happened. Well, why are you so prideful in defending yourself? You know, it's kind of like, wait a minute. He's just telling you the other side of the story. That's why you've got to have both the husband and wife together when you counsel them. This is don't not. Counsel, don't counsel them separately. <laughs> this is this is this is not fair because look what I said. Look at now. Listen. I, I said, why should biblical counseling be done together over than separately? Because I, you know what, you know why I'm saying that, and, and we didn't, you know, on street talk theology, we rehearse nothing. We just, right. it's better just to talk. But I'm telling you, David, the first time um, I was asked to counsel way back, they wanted to counsel separately, and I had a problem with that because, and obviously, and that's why I'd written that down. I don't know if you mentioned that in the book, but counseling separately is is an accident waiting to happen, for choice of a better word. And can you explain just succinctly on that? I mean, sure. There's several there's several reasons why that is so crucial to counsel together, the husband and wife together, rather than separately. First of all, let's say you've got a just 
two innocent people. They're not mean or cruel or wicked towards each other. You're going to have a bias one way or the other. You know, so for instance, if the wife comes in, she's going to talk about problems with her husband and maybe she's not throwing him under the bus, but she's going to just talk about some things and you're not going to get the whole story. You're not going to get the whole picture. But there's another issue with this is that if you counsel them separately and you've got one person that is bent on evil, now you're entertaining gossip and they're deliberately trying to destroy the other person without that person being able to defend themselves. So, you know, so in other words, if if you and your wife come to me for counseling and your wife tells me a bunch of terrible things about you and I just so, oh, boy, Dominic is a terrible guy. I've got to I got to just rebuke him and 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 correct him and all of that without giving you an opportunity to defend yourself. That's bad counsel. That's that's godless counsel. That is a that is an accident waiting to happen, like you said. This is not going to go well because you're already guilty, and now you have to prove you're innocent. And you and I know you can't prove your innocence. There's always something we're guilty of. There's always some sin that we should be repenting of. But this gets loaded so one-sided if you're doing the counseling separately that um, a lot of marriages don't recover from it. David, we have about three minutes in this segment. I want to I want to leave it to you, and then I'll sign off. But here's something I was on my mind before, and it maybe, and I know maybe three minutes or three and a half minutes is not enough. But we need to let the audience know because when I went to seminary, I the counseling that I took was not newthetic. It was mixed in with with psychology, and 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 obviously, and I. I have books on my shelf that I wouldn't even, I, I don't want you to be mad at me because I, I mean, but the, the seminaries, you know, I, I only learned of newthetic counseling, you know, from guys like yourself, but in, in most of the seminaries, I, I want to be careful here, not, not all. What is the, the, there is a biblical aspect, but there's also a psychological or psychology involved in, right. in three minutes or something what is nuthetic counseling and and what is the other type of counseling if, if is that a fair question is that okay it is it's not a three minute question but it's a fair question but i i can bring it all but i can i can we can go on the other side with it but you can start with it here sure sure well i'll start off by saying that i went to i went to one of the best seminaries in in the nation probably in the world um you know 30 something years ago and i learned much about Greek, Hebrew, exegesis, hermeneutics, Same. Uh, you know, everything was top-notch, was excellent. And then when it came to counseling, it was psychology. And I thought, this is strange. Why, why would it be so biblical one way? And then it's like you can't use the Bible when you're counseling people. So that's a big, big problem. And there's the integration of the Scripture's and psychology that is attempted. So in other words, we use the Bible, plus we use the insights from psychology, and we think we're going to come up with something better. And really what you're doing is you're diluting the power of the gospel. You're diluting what the Word of God says. So nuthetic counseling, the word nutheteo is in, is, is in the, it's, it's a Greek word, and it means to admonish or to counsel or to confront. It actually means to put in the mind. 
You know, we want to put in people's minds what is true, what does God say, not what do Dominic and David say, what does God say, and then you and I are the vessels to bring that to them and help those people to see this is what God requires. So it's not David counseling, it's not Dominic counseling, it's the Word of God counseling in. And Psalm 119 verse 24 says that, that your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. That's one of the most important verses to, to grasp and say, the word of God counsels, not, not you and me. We're just the means to bring the truth of the word of God to people. But um, but you're absolutely right. Sadly, I, I don't know a, a number, but I would say over 90% of our seminaries do not use the scriptures as their ultimate authority and sufficiency in addressing problems of living. Another way to look at it is the the Puritans. I think you probably are familiar with the Puritans, read yes, many of their works. Uh, the Puritans were fantastic as what was called physicians of the soul. That's what they were referred to as, physicians of the soul. They couldn't tell you how to set a broken bone or what to do if you're a diabetic, but with a problem in your soul, they were masters at using the Word of God to help people with any problem of living. David, I, I'm gonna. I gotta cut this section short. Can I continue just with nuthetic counseling on the other side, and then we'll get okay. into some of the other stuff? Is that okay? Uh, only uh, because I I think this is an important issue. I, I I just think it's an important issue. David has promised to come on for another segment. So this is Pastor Dominic Romaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and bring it to the streets. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at 891 West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.